At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hello there, Toddcasters. We're back with some of our favorite episodes from Meet the Press Reports. If you haven't binged it, do so now over on Peacock. But when we think back over the last few months and years in politics, one day continues to stick out to us as the turning point for a brand new brand of politics. And no, I am not talking about January 6th. This episode of Meet the Press Reports looks back at a single day in October of 2016. It's October 7th, and it may be the most consequential day in modern American political history. I hope you I'm Chuck Todd, and welcome to Meet the Press Reports. On Meet the Press Reports, we look beyond the headlines and where we are to how we got here and where we might be going. And that thinking brings us to a single day in the fall of 2016, October 7th, to be precise. It was 32 days before Election Day. It was not supposed to be a busy one on the campaign trail, actually. Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump were both in debate prep, off the trail a bit, two days before their second presidential debate. Hurricane Matthew, a major storm, was inching along the East Coast. But in the early afternoon on October 7th, three major stories broke within quick succession. By now, we know them by their shorthands. Russian hacking, Access Hollywood, WikiLeaks. A triple shot of October surprises in one single afternoon. Yes, these headlines had an impact on the rest of the campaign season. But boy, did they not, did they not disappear into the textbooks after Election Day. The events of this day were questioned by the president in Helsinki. They were investigated and analyzed by Robert Mueller and the Senate Intelligence Committee. They changed how we think about cybersecurity as a country. They showed us how the president responds when the odds are stacked against him. And they ultimately set the tone for the relationship that we see today between President Trump and the rest of the Republican Party. On this edition of Meet the Press Reports, we will trace how those three stories are still coloring our political landscape. But first, let's go back to that day, October 7th, 2016, and see how the day itself played out on television. And you're going to hear from some of the people who had a hand in the day's unfolding events. A day in the life, October 7th, 2016. Right now, Category 3 storm. Hurricane Matthew wreaking havoc in Florida. We're getting some good buffeting winds right now. The weather here is still incredibly violent. And the hurricane is just right up there. While the candidates are in debate prep. The talk was how was Donald Trump preparing? How was Hillary Clinton preparing? But behind the scenes. I didn't expect it to be a big day. I didn't expect it to be a day with a big deadline or, you know, when any big news would break. It's shaping up to be the most consequential day in the 2016 election. One, the U.S. intelligence community is prepping a bombshell statement about Russian hacking. We're all seeing little pieces of what the Russians are doing and trying to put all that together. Two, Washington Post reporter David Farenthold gets a tip about an Access Hollywood video of Donald Trump making lewd comments about women. It was around sort of 10.30 in the morning that it came in. Like the first five seconds, I was like, what is this? And then you can start to hear Trump's voice. Um, And it was apparent 
you know, within a few seconds that this was something different, even for him. And three, WikiLeaks is getting ready for one of their largest email dumps, all just 32 days before Election Day. Within an hour and a half, all three stories break. We're going to transition to some breaking news coming in just now. This is- First, a joint statement from the Department of Homeland Security and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence publicly accusing the Russian government of hacking U.S. political organizations to interfere in the election. The statement is uh, very dramatic. It says that the U.S. intelligence community is confident, that's the word it uses, confident that the Russian government directed the recent compromises of emails from Americans and U.S. institutions, including U.S. political organizations. But the statement is silent about Russia's intention, something FBI agent Peter Strzok says the intelligence community was well aware of. It did not go into a lot of depth about kind of the much more pointed truth that we knew that they were doing it to help Trump and to hurt Clinton. At the same time, at The Washington Post, Farenthold is going back and forth with the Trump campaign about that potentially damaging Access Hollywood video. So at four o'clock, they hadn't responded um, and we were just about to publish the story without them. And then in the tiny fraction of time that it took for the editor to walk from my desk to her desk to publish the story, the Trump people called and they said, wait, you know, uh, it was him. Uh, he really said this, but it was just locker room talk. 4.05 p.m., the story drops. NBC News has just become aware of a video capturing Donald Trump making vulgar comments about women back in 2005. I just started kissing them. It's like a magnet. You just kiss. I don't even know. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. <laughs> Whatever you want. And then he says something that that I couldn't believe I actually heard. Grab him by the... <laughs> I could do anything. Katie Turr is covering the Trump campaign for NBC News. It was just like, uh, you know, a, a screaming siren in my head. Oh, my God. Did I just hear that? And is that Donald Trump saying that he can grab women by the privates? I truly didn't know when we published the story. Were people going to go, well, that's just Donald Trump? Or was it going to be a big deal that would change the race? Um, And it turned out to be the latter. The Trump campaign starts preparing for the fallout. Some of the advisors were telling him to drop out. Among them, RNC chairman Reince Priebus. Reince said, you have uh, you have two choices. You either drop out right now or you lose by the biggest landslide in American political history. Republicans see disaster up and down the ballot and start condemning Trump's behavior. They weren't sure if this was the thing that should cause them to pull the ripcord and bail on their nominee. I'm out. I, I can no longer, in good conscience, uh, endorse this person for president. To step aside. Step down. But their disapprovals don't last, setting the tone for the next four years. Was it an abuse of power? Donald Trump has proven to be politically Teflon uh, among a core group of voters. And those voters are not just Donald Trump voters. Those are the voters that Republicans need uh, to stay in office, which is why you've seen Republicans either uh, defend the president in the face of uh, blatant hypocrisy or or, uh, norm breaking or potentially illegal behavior. But you've also seen them just ignore things that they don't want to comment on. A half an hour after the Access Hollywood tape drops, WikiLeaks dumps hundreds of Clinton campaign chairman John Podesta's emails, revealing potentially damaging information about Hillary Clinton. WikiLeaks starts dropping my emails uh, into the public. Raising questions about the Trump campaign's relationship with WikiLeaks. One could say that there might have, those 
things might not have been a coincidence. The immediate concern was obviously the timing. And giving Trump the material he needs to put Access Hollywood, which is owned by our own parent company, in the rearview mirror. And I remember talking to another reporter who said it seems like he's been re-energized by these WikiLeaks releases. WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks. Boy, I love reading those WikiLeaks. It turns out WikiLeaks got those emails courtesy of the Russian hacking that those intelligence agencies were warning about. And we later learned Trump advisor Roger Stone was in communication with WikiLeaks throughout the campaign. His lies to Congress about those communications led to seven felony convictions in 2019. Three huge stories, Russian hacking, the Access Hollywood tape, and WikiLeaks disclosures, all with lasting implications. It was clearly an indicator of how things were all accelerating, and not just in one sort of lane, but sort of across the board. For the remainder of the campaign, WikiLeaks continued to dump Podesta and DNC emails, embarrassing the Clinton campaign. As for those Access Hollywood tapes... It was really consequential in the moment. It was covered by every news outlet. It forced Donald Trump to do something he never did, which was apologize. I said it. I was wrong. And I apologize. I've said some foolish things, but there's a big difference between the words and actions of other people. Bill Clinton has actually abused women, and Hillary has bullied, attacked, shamed, and intimidated his victims. His running mate was confident Trump would survive. They'll say, this time we got him, right? Then they turn on the television the next morning, and Donald Trump is still standing stronger than ever before. 32 days later... Donald Trump was elected president. Joining us now is someone who had a hand in drafting that statement on Russian election interference on October 7th. It's the former Secretary of Homeland Security, Jay Johnson. Secretary Johnson, welcome, sir. And let me put up the, the, the meat of that statement you put up that day, Jay. Here it is. The U.S. intelligence community is confident that the Russian government directed the recent compromises of emails from U.S. persons and institutions, including from U.S. political organizations. So number one question now, and we're obviously having a nice hindsight conversation here, but let's start with this. Why did you decide on October 7th to release this statement? Take me into that decision-making process. October 7th, Friday, 2016, I remember it well. Um, We had been working on the statement for a couple of days I personally was involved in editing, writing some of it, and I knew that it was probably going to be released that day. I wasn't sure it'd be released that day, um, and it was it was a difficult deliberation to get there. Except there was a point at which we realized that we absolutely had to tell the American people what we knew about what the Russians were, were up to. Uh, as you pointed out in your reporting. We also had Hurricane Matthew. I actually spoke with the president, Secretary Clinton, and Mr. Trump all that day to brief them on Hurricane Matthew. I spoke to Mr. Trump at around 2 (laughs) o'clock. And I recall uh, we had a very interesting conversation. Uh, He really didn't have that much of an attention span for what uh, the FEMA deputy administrator and I were trying to tell him. And uh, had a present conversation about what I was going to do after I left my job. We talked about uh, the fact that I was coming back to New York. Why don't I come over to Trump Tower for lunch sometime? Which I thought was a little bizarre. <laughs> and said, well, you might, you might actually be working in Washington. And there was a pause. And he said, oh, right. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> but anyway, 
Um, the statement, Chuck, has several components to it. One was the first paragraph, which is the intelligence community assessment. And really the second and third mm -hmm. paragraphs about the efforts at scanning and probing around election infrastructure and what we are doing about it was really more mine, the, the DHS part of the statement. It was carefully right. written. And as I'm sure you're going to ask me, it didn't quite get the exposure that we expected it would get because of, of subsequent events. Well, uh, let me start first with why did the statement come from you and DHS and not from the president of the United States? Good question. You have to really consider the context at the time. Uh, and at the time, uh, candidate Trump was saying uh, almost exactly what he's saying now, that the election was going to be rigged. And this was an unprecedented statement. The U.S. government had never before accused a foreign government of attempting to interfere in an ongoing political campaign. So there was considerable concern around the table that it would look as if the president himself was taking sides in the election and using the apparatus of the national government and the national security agencies of the government to do so. So we ultimately decided that it needed to come from national security officials. And Jim and I stepped forward and said, we'll do this. Is this where there was some where, where, where the administration was getting pushback from some Republican leaders in Congress during the Gang of Eight talks on the Republican side of the aisle <clears throat> when you guys were discussing this internal uh, intelligence uh, hack? We wanted congressional leadership, Republican and Democrat, to put out a statement encouraging state election officials to come to DHS and seek our assistance. There was a lot of back and forth between Republicans and Democrats on the Hill about that. They ultimately issued, frankly, a watered-down statement uh, shortly before the October 7th statement. We were hoping that the congressional statement would be a lead-up to our statement, but we knew we had to issue our statement anyway, no matter what they said. Why, were you, why did the FBI director not put his name in the statement? Why did <clears throat> Admiral Rogers, why was he hesitant? to put his name in the statement, who was head well, of NSA. First of all, uh, Admiral Rogers works for the director of national intelligence. Jim Clapper is senior to Admiral Rogers. Um, I can't really speak for Jim Comey, although he's been a friend of mine for 30 years. Um, I, 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 for some reason, Jim did not want to uh, get the FBI right. involved in the statement. Ultimately, it made the most sense, frankly, for the director of national intelligence, the head of the whole intelligence right. community, and Homeland Security to make the joint statement. Okay, but here's what I've never really been able to wrap my arms around. You guys issue this statement in the morning. Yes. By the evening, we now Actually, know what's happened to the stolen material. Right, We're, yes. But by the end of the day, we now know where this hacked material ended up and ended up at WikiLeaks. And here it comes. Where was the follow up from the administration going? Ah, this is exactly what we were warning about. And I'm curious if you guys had not issued the statement on October 7th, how would WikiLeaks have altered how you would have announced this on October 8th? So um, some people suspect that the 
release of the Podesta emails was re- in reaction to the statement. Uh, I tend to believe that is not true, that the release was going to occur anyway because it was so close in time. Um, in terms of the follow-through, truck, Chuck, um, as you know, the statement itself did not get the intention that we thought it was going to get. It was literally below the fold news that day right. because, uh, you know, respectfully, uh, the, your colleagues all went off and chased after the Access Hollywood story, uh, lust and sex, yeah. and, and for the following couple of days. And I was expecting frankly, a lot of follow-up from the press, you know, how did you know this? When did you know this? I was expecting a lot of follow-up, but you know, all that weekend it was access Hollywood. He's dropping out, uh, the debates next Tuesday. How can he survive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now it makes sense by the time we got our focus back on, um, the, the WikiLeaks story that moves on. Final question is this, what would you do differently knowing what you know now? Well, hindsight is brilliant. Um, There are very few things that I would not do differently if I had the benefit of of hindsight. Um, Mm -hmm. Plainly, with the benefit of hindsight, I think we would have been uh, much louder. Maybe the statement should have come from the president. Uh, We would have Mm -hmm. issued it much sooner, but it took time to gather the pieces of the intelligence and to assess whether we could declassify this because of sources and methods. Um, but that's what right. the benefit of hindsight. I, I remember the context well, yeah. which was we were very concerned about delegitimizing national security agencies by having us right. inject ourselves into an ongoing political campaign. We were reluctant to do that, right. but we had to. Secretary Johnson, uh, Jay Johnson, as always, sir, really appreciate you coming on, sharing your perspective and your candor. Thanks, Chuck. Uh, it always adds to the conversation. Thank you. So four years later, what was the significance of this single day, October 7th, 2016, and how does it echo today, weeks away from the election, in the relationship between the president and the Republican Party? Well, joining me now is Tim Alberta. He's the chief political correspondent for Politico. Carlos Corbello, former Republican congressman from Florida, who did not endorse Trump in 2016, but won his election in that year. And Amy Walter, senior editor at the Cook Political Report. Carlos, let me start with you. Um, Just that day alone, it's October 7th, you're running, um, you're in a contested race, you know you're in a close race, in a battleground state. Trump does this. Did it have an impact in your campaign? Chuck, I remember the moment I found out a colleague sent me a text stating what the president had said in that Access Hollywood tape. And I looked at my wife. We were at a restaurant. I thought of my two daughters who were six and four years old at the time. And I felt a great sense of relief that months before I had said that I was not going to be supporting Donald Trump, which was (laughs) difficult. That was my party's nominee. It was not an easy decision, but I felt a great sense of relief. And then there was a rush of texts from uh, Republicans, House Republicans, mostly in competitive races, asking me what they should do. And uh, I told them I already did what I had to do some some time ago. Uh, You all should probably consider doing the same. And then a few days after that, Paul Ryan had a conference call with all House Republicans and essentially told them, worry about yourselves, forget about Donald Trump. Amy Walter, that day when you digested it sort of a couple days later and what we were dealing with, 
What did you think? I mean, this was sort of the October surprise of October surprises before we got to another one that became a November surprise in the Comey letters. But what were you thinking in that moment? And what did you assume what the fallout would be? You know, I assumed what the congressman was laying out there, which was you were going to see House Republicans, Senate Republicans distance themselves from the president, that the floor was going to fall out from under him, and that the focus for the next three weeks was going to be on his statements. And the issue, though, I I remember being somewhere uh, that day and listening, overhearing a group of women who are not particularly very political, sort of chit-chatting about it. And this always stuck with me because they said like, no, you know, that's how men talk. That's how they talk when we're not around. Not surprised at all. Mm. And so it was this feeling of like, huh, maybe, you know, I, I do remember thinking maybe we are getting this part wrong. You know, maybe other people will think this yeah. way, but then it was, gosh, I don't know. We've never had a presidential candidate do this. This is so norm busting for a guy who's already done all of this stuff. But, but you could see even in that moment in time, the way that, that real life was, it was getting, it was getting processed in real life. It was sowing the seeds for what we now have seen for the last four years, which is this ability right. for Donald Trump to do and say things that no one else could get away with. Tim Alberta, you have pointed to this day and this moment. In fact, you just did it again this week of how important it was in, the, in, in some ways to the to the to the election of Donald Trump, because in the moment, I think we all thought Access Hollywood was going to be the be all end all. And as far as Donald Trump was concerned, it looks like it just took him to another gear and WikiLeaks ended up being the bigger deal in the moment. Yeah, Chuck, this was, I think, as much as anything else, a psychological watershed uh, for the modern Republican Party and really for the modern political system, because just about everyone around the president was telling him in the 48 hours following the the uh, Washington Post story that there's no way you can survive this, right? The, and and Trump really did believe that he could survive it. He he was sort of very, um, I think, prescient in in his own way. To Amy's point a minute ago, in sort of understanding that maybe the old rules no longer applied, that he could get away with things that nobody else could get away with. And keep in mind that at the time, the big uh, the big sort of uh, concern among a lot of these Republicans wasn't just that Trump was on tape saying these things, but that there would be other tapes. Paul Ryan went around, you know, telling Ryan's previous, telling Mitch McConnell, telling anybody who would listen, look, they've got more on this guy. There's no way that this is the only thing coming out. So, so and there were a lot of Republicans who believed that. And that was a big part of the coordinated push behind the scenes that weekend mm-hmm. to get Trump out of the race, because even if they were to subscribe to this belief that he could survive this, they thought that that, there, that that was just the first domino to fall and that they were going to have to be weathering an almost daily storm of new headlines, new tapes being released, things that were further incriminating, not just to Trump, but the entire Republican ticket. So, Carlos, let's put it into terms of this. What do you think Kevin McCarthy, and uh, who was in leadership at the time, and I'm sure on these conference calls, um, uh, you know, basically being in sync with Paul Ryan, 
What lesson do you think he took away from this? Well, Chuck, I think it's impossible to overstate the psychological impact that Trump's survival had on congressional Republicans. No politician could dream of surviving uh, these kinds of scandals, making those kinds of statements. Yet he did. And for a lot of Republicans, that sent a very powerful message. This guy is untouchable. He's Teflon. He has political superpowers. We can never challenge him or question him again. And I think that's why you've seen over the last four years, Republicans avoid criticizing him, avoid uh, creating any distance uh, between themselves and the president because they witnessed this almost impossible survival of a massive scandal. Uh, so uh, that is the impact that that one day has okay. had on an entire political party and really changed the Republican Party in a fundamental way. Tim Alberta, Carlos Corbello, Amy Walter. Uh, it's a fascinating day to put in the uh, time capsule here. I thank you for uh, all for helping us unpack it. That is all for Meet the Press reports this week. Next week, we're going to look at QAnon. How did a fringe conspiracy theory that prominent Democrats eat children make it into mainstream political discourse? I'll see you next week right here on Peacock and this Sunday on Meet the Press. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.